All right. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome, everybody, to the Michael Slate Show. My name is Sansara Taylor. I'm very happy to be with you this morning. We've got a great show planned for you here on the Michael Slate Show. I just got back late last night from San Diego. I've been on a speaking tour, a campus speaking tour, but not only, titled Woke Lunacy versus real revolution. And I want to share some of the experience of this, some of what I've been getting into, encountering from the students. And I want to open up the phone lines and hear from you about this, about what is going on among the so-called progressive and decent people where there is way too much obsessing with tearing down each other, canceling each other, changing language, rather than changing the world and how this is paralyzing, especially young people, but people more broadly at a time when fascism is on the march, when the crimes of this system are intensifying and threatening humanity's future, there is a need for us to break out of all the kinds of ways that people are posturing and going along with this system and intimidating people who should be standing up. And so I'm excited to share some of this with you and to open up the phone lines to talk with you about this. I have a guest here today with me, Rafael Cadaris. Rafael, how are you doing this morning? Hey, Sansara. Thanks for having me. Rafael was with me down in San Diego last night. I also had a late night, and he's been on this speaking tour with me. He's been a guest on the show before. You've heard from him. Um, he is a contributor to the Revolution Nothing Less show at youtube.com slash the RevComs, and he's a writer um, and a member of the National Revolution Tour. So he, he is, um, we're going to hear from a segment that he put together too. What I want to do, and then we'll talk a little bit about this tour, what we've been encountering, and we'll open it up to you. What I want to do to set the stage is play two teasers. The first is um, a teaser from the talk that I'm giving on safe spaces, which you hear a lot of these days is the demand for safe space and the contrast between fighting for safe spaces for a handful within this country and fighting for a safe world for all of humanity. So that'll be the first thing. And then we'll go to something that uh, Raphael put together on, on the question of privilege, which you also hear a lot about. Um, so let's dive into safe spaces first, and, and then we'll come back and introduce the second clip. Should the goal be to guard ourselves with trigger warnings and safe spaces within this monstrous system? Or do we need to get out of our comfort zones and put it on the line to fight for a world that is actually safe for the masses of oppressed humanity all over the world? A professor at Hamlin University in St. Paul warned her students, gave them a chance to opt out and then she showed an artwork that included a picture of the Prophet Muhammad in an art history class. You know what happened next? She got fired because a student took offense. Raphael, who introduced tonight's program, took this poster, a larger version. This is faces of people killed by police. He took this poster out several years back at the Cal campus right near us. And what was the response of the students? He was trying to mobilize them to stand up against this unending epidemic of police murdering and brutalizing black and brown people. The response from the students? Some of them tried to drive him off campus 
because they were triggered by it. Never mind the real people who were killed with real triggers. Just don't make me look at it. It's too upsetting for me. I was once part of a group of people who was escorted out by police under threat of arrest from a so-called reproductive rights conference at Hampshire College. <laughs> Our crime? So we had a table, we were tabling, student came up to talk to us, and in the course of this conversation, they were arguing that the global sex industry is really a form of empowerment. This industry in which five million people, 99% of them women and children, are literally enslaved. And we refuse to join them in calling it empowering. Very calmly, but firmly. They came to our table, they could have left, we just stood there and we argued with them. Then they started crying. Oh my God, five alarm emergency, call the police. We got escorted out, we were threatened with arrest because the students' feelings were hurt. And the organizers of the conference insisted on it. Seriously, calling oppression empowerment or agency does not change the reality that it is oppression. And calling the police, the violent enforcers of the state, to keep you safe from being upset about reality does not change that reality. In fact, it continues to enforce that reality because it protects you from having to see it and do something about it. It is time for young people to stop being soft crybabies. The real world exists, we have to confront it and deal with it. And here I want to quote something from Bob Avakian, from his work, Something Terrible or Something Truly Emancipating. He says, enough of woke folk who act as if it is actually the oppressed, or as they like to say, the marginalized, who are fragile beings, constantly in need of the protection of safe spaces, lest they fall apart at the mere appearance of a triggering phenomenon. And since when are universities and other institutions supposed to be places where you are safe, not just from physical violence of one kind or another, and not just from overtly threatening or clearly degrading verbal assaults, but from ideas, statements, etc., that simply make you uncomfortable? How are you going to change the world if you are in danger of falling apart at things like that? And he continues, and he speaks with a lot of firsthand knowledge and broader understanding. He continues, in any real struggle to deal with any real oppression, up against powerful enforcers of that oppression, you are going to have to face the prospect of real sacrifice, including the prospect of being physically attacked and if you think that you can carve out little safe enclaves and that this is somehow going to lead to any kind of significant change in society, you are full of illusions and delusions. All right, so that is just a teaser of the talk, Woke Lunacy versus Real Revolution. That's from our stop up at Berkeley uh, Revolution Books right next to the Cal UC Berkeley, Berkeley campus. Um, and that story that I told about being uh, threatened with arrest and forced out of a, a so-called reproductive rights conference, I got to give a shout out to Project Censored, who put that as one of their top stories of censorship that year. It really was atrocious. But this is 
what characterizes way too much of the so-called left in this country is, is the demand for safe spaces, trigger warnings, protect me from ideas that make me uncomfortable, especially among the youth, and it is paralyzing people. So I want to open this up. I want to talk about it in a little while. I want to, before we do, before we open the phone lines and before I bring Raphael into the conversation more fully. He was up there in Cal with me. He's on, on the air with me now. I referenced him as well in that excerpt. Um, I want to play something from him where he breaks down the question of privilege, which you hear a lot about as well. So let's go into that and then we'll talk some. Thanks for showing your privilege and f you. Check your privilege edition. They were going to be talking about male privilege. Of course you have white privilege. That is privilege. Male privilege. Privilege manifests in many ways. Kindly check your privilege. You have privilege. The top 10 signs that you grew up privileged. White privilege check. Let's do another privilege check. Check your privilege. Four points on privilege. One, if you think the problem is privilege, I want to let you in on a little secret. Privilege is a symptom. The real problem is the system of capitalism imperialism. That system has a ruling class. They're the ones who really run this and enforce it with armies, police, courts, and prisons. Yes, of course, privilege exists. Wealthier people have it better than poor people. White people benefit from white supremacy. Men benefit from patriarchy. That's because these inequalities and oppressive social relations are built into the functioning of this system. And yes, all too many people cling to their privilege and enforce it in the most disgusting ways. But people with privilege are not the fundamental cause of this, and they're not the enemy just because they have privilege. If you think that, you're just looking at the surface and you're letting the real enemy off the hook. It is this system of capitalism imperialism which divides people up, pits them against each other in competition, forcing them to pursue their own narrow interests at the expense of others. A system which uses privileges like bribes to maintain people's allegiance and misdirect their anger towards oppressed groups rather than towards the rulers. To end these divisions and the privileges that go along with them, we need to end this system. And that means revolution to overthrow it and build up a whole new socialist system that works to overcome these inequalities, not by targeting and silencing people with privilege, but by dedicating resources and waging struggle to overcome all forms of oppression and forge a whole new culture based on genuine equality between different races, genders, and nationalities. Two. Here's a little clue that these woke identity politics hustlers who are always talking about privilege aren't really about radically changing the system, but just want to get their place in it. What's the one privilege that they never talk about? American privilege. You know, the privilege of living in a country that terrorizes and plunders the rest of the world. A country that sits atop the economic food chain with wealth and consumer goods flowing in from the super exploitation of billions working in sweatshops and mines around the world. These woke people want all they can get of that privilege. They just want more diverse faces and inclusion at the top of this system. A seat at the table or maybe a safe space within this empire while parasitically benefiting from the spoils of imperialism and turning a blind eye to the massive destruction of people and the environment that all this rests on. No, what we need, what humanity urgently needs, is a revolution to get rid of this system, above all right here in the belly of the beast. Three, 
Telling people to check your privilege is completely useless up against the real enemy. Just try telling these murderous police to check their privilege. You see officer as a white male in a position of authority, you should really leave that innocent black guy alone. See how well that works out. Or maybe the Iraqis and Afghans should have just told the commanders of the US military, you know as white colonizers, you're occupying a lot of space right now and you should really uh, take a step back and reflect on your privilege. All this is even more ridiculous in the face of a powerful fascist movement in this country that's determined to smash all this diversity and inclusion and basic rights for people and replace it with an openly white supremacist, patriarchal, Christian fascist America. I mean, do you think that the fascist judge in Texas that just banned abortion pills condemning women to a handmaid's tale future would give a f if you pointed out that he has white male cisgender privilege? Come on, it's time to get real. These fascists, the whole system that spawned them and all its institutions of violent repression need to be defeated through a revolution of millions. All this woke identity politics is just playing around in a little sandbox, diverting people from the real struggle that's needed. Four, telling people to check your privilege is not only worthless against the enemy, it's extremely harmful among the people. I mean, what's the point of it anyway? Once we're all aware of how much or how little privilege everyone has, then what? Oppression Olympics, let's go. Compete over who's the most oppressed? Turning oppression into capital that you can leverage over others? Silencing and intimidating people who should be speaking out and standing up against injustice? Who benefits from this little game that you're playing? Not the masses of oppressed humanity? Not the children in Yemen dying of cholera because of US-backed war crimes and economic sanctions? The Bangladeshi women stitching your clothes? Not the millions of women in this country whose bodies have been hijacked by Christian fascist judges? Or the masses of black and brown people locked up in America's hellhole prisons? Or gunned down by its murdering pigs? And you might also notice how identity can be a convenient excuse for those who have had a more privileged life to just stay in their lanes and not do no, all of us have a responsibility to fight against oppression. As Bob Avakian put it, Instead of snarking and sniping at each other and being divided by identities, people should be working to unite everyone from every part of society who can be united in the fight against oppression and injustice with the goal of putting an end to this system that is the source of this oppression and injustice. All right, so that was Rafael Caderas talking about privilege. And I'm so happy to have him on air with us live right now. Rafael, welcome back. Uh, thanks, Sansara. Good to be back. My name is Sansara Taylor. I'm your guest host, and this is the Michael Slate Show. So, Rafael, I want to look, we played a couple of things to kind of set the stage. But as I said at the top of the hour, you and I are on a, a national speaking tour right now. It's called, oh, not a national speaking tour. So far, it's been in California, but we want it to be national. We're on a speaking tour um, called Woke Lunacy versus Real Revolution. And I think those two excerpts gave a sense of what we're getting into. But I think uh, it might be helpful to just start out with why do you think, why is it so important? Why do you feel and have we been out there um, thinking this is such an important thing to take on this woke lunacy at a time when there's so many crimes of the system, so much cries out for people to lift their heads and struggle against. Why is this merit such attention? 
Yeah, well, I think I think you're you're starting to get at it. There, I mean, people should just look at the world, the state of the world right now. You know, I mean, this capitalist system driven by its competitive chase for profit is just wreaking havoc on the environment. Just you know, wiping out whole species. The planet is warming at an accelerate at an accelerated rate. You know, here in the U.S., fascism is on the rise, you know, we see women's right to abortion being stripped away, books are being banned in state after state, Uh, you know, 500 anti-trans laws being passed around the country, you know, MAGA. Introduced or passed, introduced or passed. Introduced or passed, thank you. I think like 70 have been passed in the last year, but like 500 introduced, but go ahead. You have literally Republican fascists and the the mobs that they're unleashing, arming themselves and preparing for civil war and saying that they want to, you know, like they said at the CPAC, the conservative action conference, that they want to eradicate trans people, you know, so, you know, this we're, we're facing a force in society that's, you know, preparing for to wipe out all those that they hate, you know, and on, in an, on an international level, like the U.S. is and and Russia and China are pushing the world closer towards World War Three. You know, there's the proxy war in Ukraine where the U.S. is backing Ukraine against Russia, which, you know, all these are nuclear armed powers. The the flashpoint in Taiwan, which could erupt into a into an all out war between the U.S. and China. And, you know, th- this is a moment where where students and intellectuals should be. Sounding the alarm, college campuses should be, you know, hotbeds of of resistance and revolution. You know, this is these are places where people are dealing, you know, should be dealing with big ideas, should be looking at the state of the world, should be looking into, you know, what's really causing all this, all this oppression, what's driving things towards world war, what's destroying the environment, why are so many immigrants, uh, you know, dying on the border and in the Mediterranean Sea. You know, what's causing all this and, and seeking out the systemic causes and looking for radical solutions to this. But instead, we have a situation on college campuses and among way too many students and intellectuals where, you know, there's just an obsession with, uh, indivi- you know, me, 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 with identity, with, as you said at the beginning of the show, changing the labels on reality and changing language rather than changing the reality itself with canceling each other, but never talking about canceling the system, you know, and, and looking for, you know, where the highest people can imagine is inclusion and more representation, more diverse faces at the top of this system, um, or a safe space at the margins of the system, rather than actually changing the system itself, you know, and, and this is because, you know, for, you know, some decades now, to be honest, but especially, you know, in an accelerated way over the last few years, uh, you know, this whole framework of woke identity politics has has become completely dominant among, you know, among those who see, you know, who who do care about justice, who do, you know, want to do something about racism and gender oppression and all this. This is what poses as the answer to to injustice, but it's it's a fraud, you know, and I'm I'm really excited to be part of this speaking tour with with you, Samsara, and taking this to college campuses because this needs to be, you know, this needs to be um de- this whole framework needs to be demolished and it needs to be contrasted with what actually in people's sights need to be lifted to what actually is the solution to this, which is revolution. And there is a whole new framework 
for for how to understand what's what's causing all this oppression and how it can be ended, which is the new communism that Baba Vakin's developed. There's a constitution for a whole new socialist republic in North America that we're introducing students to so that they can, you know, understand that there is actually a vision beyond this whole system. And uh, and there's a moment right now where, you know, there's greater dangers in the world, but there's also greater opportunities for revolution. And so we're recruiting students to be part of this. You know, um, one of the things that you're talking about the contrast, and I want to bring in another dimension of this contrast, which is, um, I mean, you touched on it, but I think it needs to be surfaced in its own right um, even more fully. The contrast between people's lowered sights to imagining that all they could do is get included in this system or find a safe space at the margins of this current system, this monstrous system that's destroying the world's ecosystems and the and the and potentially humanity's future as a whole with the threat of nuclear war with the and the unending oppression that people face so i thought you captured that well the contrast between that and really changing the whole world to put an end to oppression and exploitation in every form to put an end to white supremacy to put an end to patriarchy to put an end to the destruction of the environment to put an end to a global system of production and exploitation where that rests on child slave labor in the Congo to make our cell phones work and women and trapped in fire trap dangerous sweatshops in Bangladesh to stitch our clothes and all the rest of what you were talking about. We could end that through a revolution. So that, that contrast between finding a, a, a crevice of safety for me within this system versus ending oppression for everybody by overthrowing the system is very important. The other contrast I wanted to bring in, and they're very linked, is the relativism of the identity politics woke framework where everybody has their own truth. And you hear it all the time, your truth, my truth, that might be true for you, but that's not true for me. And people are told they have to preface their statements by, you know, as a cis white, you had this in your segment, as a cis white man or as a trans black woman or as a this, as a that, as if your identity determines the truth of what you're saying, which it does not. Truth is determined by whether things correspond, whether what's being said corresponds to objective reality. And in the talk I give, I talk about how the woke identity politics framework denies objective reality. Tima Okun in her, in a widely circulated pamphlet among the wokesters calls objective reality part of white supremacist culture. Robin D'Angelo, the author of the best-selling White Fragility, says that objective reality is part of the unnamed logic of whiteness. And all these feminist theorists are out there saying that, that reason and rationality are masculinist approaches to knowledge building. There's all this rejection and denial of objective reality and of the ability for people to understand the world scientifically. So you're just trapped on, on surface experience. I experience this as this experience matters and experience of oppression matters, but we have to look what's beneath the surface. What's the systemic cause of those experiences? What is the nature of the system? What is, what is any given experience rooted in and how do we end it? And you need science for that. And this is a big fight that we're also having in this tour. So before we, in a moment, I'll give out the number, we'll start taking calls, but I'd like it if you, if you want to react to that or share any of the, 
experience, because it does matter on the tour so far, what the students are raising, what we've been learning, what they've been learning, what, what the controversies we've opened up around this question of, of science and reality versus just identity and experience. Yeah, well, I, I think that's extremely important. And, you know, you, you really can't understand almost anything about the way that the world works just by personal experience, just by, you know, your own perception of, of reality, you know, and I mean, you can understand some things, you know, and people who've experienced oppression under, understand better than anyone else what it what it feels like to be oppressed, you know, and that matters. It really does matter, you know, for example, when you hear the, the, the voices of, of the family members who've lost their loved ones to police murder, you know, d- describing what, what their loved ones were like and, and you know, it, 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 it hits you in your heart, you know, and that, that matters. You need to, or the experiences of, of, of migrants who've, you know, suffered in the as- asylum process in the U.S. and what they've gone through and sitting in the, you know, tent encampments on the border in El Paso and all this kind of stuff. Um, people should learn this. People should hear these stories. They should learn these experiences. But, you know, it doesn't tell you why any of this stuff is happening. You know, it doesn't tell you why. It doesn't tell you the role of the police in serving and protecting a system of, of capitalism and which has white supremacy built into it, nor does it tell you how do you get beyond that system. You know, this is, this is where you actually have to pull the lens back and you have to look at the, the deeper reality, the deeper, you know, economic system, how that economic system has been connected up to, you know, and it has historically evolved in this country with white supremacy built into all of its foundations, you know, and that's, that's something that anyone can, can learn no matter what your identity and they need to learn it, you know, but this, this woke identity politics, which basically forbids that whole process, you know, it says all you can really know about the world is your own personal experience. And uh, this is, this is why it's, this is, you know, at the heart of why it's so harmful, you know, it's not just unscientific, you know, it's not just wrong. It actually prevents the process of people investigating reality in, in, a, in the deeper way that they need to. You know, and, and this is something, you know, in, in, our, in the little bit we've gone out on college campuses talking to people about this, doing this speaking tour, you know, we've, we've found a lot of people really are suffocating. You know, a lot of good-hearted people, a lot of people who do want to do something about the state of the world. You know, not just, not just the fascists, you know, and there's, there's these like right wing reactionary fascist student groups on campus, like Turning Point USA and stuff who are, you know, constantly attacking wokeness and cancel culture, but they're doing it from a, you know, disingenuously, because really, they're, they're not just against, quote unquote, wokeness, they're against any discussion of, of racism and systemic racism, you know, this is why you have Ron DeSantis passing the anti-woke anti-woke act in Florida, which is just a way that they're actually banning any discussion of like the real history of slavery and all this stuff and systemic racism in this country. But among good hearted people, you know, who do want to do something about this, there's people are feeling suffocated by it. They don't feel, you know, I talked to a, um, a student uh, from Germany, actually, a foreign exchange student who said she's like, you know, she's afraid to even talk about racism for fear of saying the wrong thing, you know, and, and being canceled. I talked to a, 
a Chicano um, professor who himself was was canceled um, by his students, targeted and canceled by his students because he was reading a an academic, you know, he read out loud in class a uh, an academic work from uh, an African-American professor in which the professor used the N-word. And he read this out loud. And apparently these students of his are incapable of any context clues and couldn't distinguish between like a, uh, you know, a uh, someone using the N-word and, you know, in a derogatory way versus someone reading it in the context of an academic text. So this is this is the kind of, you know, the title of your talk, Sinsar, is, is woke lunacy versus real revolution. But this is the type of lunacy that we're seeing on college campuses. And people are groaning under, under the weight of it and, and straining under the weight of it. And, uh, you know, it, we've actually had a, a lot of, you know, a very positive response and a lot of openness to this, to this speaking tour so far. Um, well, I want to share some more of the experience, some of the really deep, thoughtful things that have come up. I, I think there's a lot to learn from the way the, the the questions have been posed on the speaking tour by the students, some of what we've been bringing, we've been learning, but also some of the craziness. I mean, just the, it is woke lunacy that we've encountered. So maybe we'll tell some stories as we go. And so one of the stories that this just happened in the last two days while we were down, oh, we should say, before we continue, on May 24th, we're bringing this tour to Los Angeles at UCLA, uh, May 24th, Wednesday evening, coming up in just a couple of weeks. Uh, so we want to invite people to come out and, and hear it firsthand and raise your questions from the floor, engage with the students, learn about the real revolution in this way and, and some of the harm and hear the whole speech taking on woke lunacy. Um, but I wanted to ask you, Raphael, to... Maybe I'll tell a little bit of the story. You can add if I'm missing any of it, but I think there's incredible richness to this experience of you've been doing a skit with people. It's sort of a, uh, um, uh, what's the word for it? Like a street theater. Uh, guerrilla theater. Art piece. Yeah, guerrilla theater. Performance art a little bit to kind of get people thinking and break through a lot of the studious avoidance of, of, of listening. You know, a lot of people like head in books, strangers are out there saying something I don't want to look and make eye contact so you've been trying to break the break the spell a little bit with this um guerrilla theater you want to describe it yeah so um we've been going into like cafes and eating areas where people are where we have a captive audience <laughs> and uh I go and make a basically a public service announcement you know and let people know about the the event the woke lunacy versus real revolution speaking event with Sansara Taylor and uh, and then we have someone who's part of the skit who, um, you know, but is pretending to be just a student eating their lunch or whatever, who jumps up and says, wait, who are you as a white man to be talking about revolution? <laughs> and uh, and then I, you know, then I respond and we go back and forth and I say, I'm someone who, you know, I'm a human being who gives a damn. And I'm also someone who studied how the system actually works why it can't be reformed, why all this oppression is, you know, why only revolution could put an end to all this oppression. And then they, they you know, when we go back and forth and they say, well, that's, that's, just, that's just your reality. That's not my reality. You know, and I respond, well, no, that's actually objective reality. That's objective reality, you know. And then they, they say, well, you know, we don't need revolution. 
we need we need inclusion we need representation you know and then i make the point that you know what what difference did it make to to tyree nichols that the five cops that mercilessly beat him to death were black you know what difference does it make to women in this country that amy coney barrett you know great uh, representation for women on the Supreme Court, that she's the one that presided over, uh, you know, stripping away the right to abortion for for half of this country, you know? And uh, and then we go back and forth, and, th- th- and then they say, well, you know, they get more agitated. You're, you're disrupting my safe space, you know? And then I say, well, what kind of safe space is there for the children in Yemen who are dying of cholera because of the policies and the actions of the U.S. government back in Saudi Arabia and their war crimes there and their sanctions, you know, and then 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 finally, uh, this other person who's heckling me breaks character and and, you know, tells everyone everything I just said was BS. And you guys should come and hear hear this speech from Sansara Taylor, where she's going to break down, you know, uh, <laughs> break down woke lunacy versus real revolution. So um, it's been very interesting. We had the first time we did this this skit actually at UC Berkeley. Someone jumped up at the very beginning of it and said, "Well, you know, they actually started heckling the heckler and said, uh, well, would you have told Abraham Lincoln that they can't talk about that he can't talk about slavery?' You know, and and in other situations like at UC San Diego the other day." Uh, you know, the heckler was actually joined by a woke mob who tried to, you know, stop me from speaking. So it's it's been a uh, it's been very interesting, and you know, you're we're it's it's definitely tapping into to the the discourse that people are <laughs> caught up in, in on college campuses. Well, I thought it was. Uh, we'll go to a call in just a moment, but I think I thought it was really heavy that down at. Uh, in San Diego in in a hot minute, in less than 30 seconds, as soon as the person in the skit started heckling you and it was staged, um, the students took it seriously and, and, and started screaming at you. One of them was physically in your face. Um, they were screaming that you should shut up. You have no right to speak. Um, they called you, you know, profanities and, and it was physically domineering and it could have gotten out of hand really quickly if the person in the skit didn't break character. And it's, and it's, you know, this is what's going on and not, oh, I disagree with your ideas. Let's engage them. Let's struggle over them. But who are you to speak? And this business of of shouting people down based on their identity, look, oppression is real. And where there have been silencing of, of black voices, of, of women, of trans people, that should be combated. But but the idea that as a white person, you shouldn't speak about revolution is... Um, it's really paralyzing to society. And what, you want white people to stay out of the revolution? Who does that serve? You know, who are we thinking about? Are we thinking about the struggle against oppression is a commodity and that's mine and I own that and you have no right to claim it? Or are we thinking about getting free? In which case, everybody should talk about it and everybody should debate the way forward. And we should and we should measure what people are saying up against objective reality and will it get us free? And this is part of the struggle we're trying to crack open. So- um, we have a call we want to go to right now. Um, I'm talking with Rafael Caderas. My name is Sansara Taylor, and this is the Michael Slate Show. We're talking about woke lunacy versus real revolution. Audrey, you're on the line. What's on your mind? Yes, ma'am. I encourage your what you are all doing very, very much. And just to 
to be one with that part of nature, it really touches, honestly. And it's a lot of us out here that's been suffering. And what you're doing, 100% encouraged. And I can feel it. The one thing I have is I don't feel comfortable when you guys don't use peace a lot more, peaceful revolution, because for me, it's like, what's the opposite when you don't use that? It's war. And remember, we're not going for war. We All we want to feel is one with nature, that inside where you guys are trying to crack, where we cannot feel. We can't even feel free to breathe. You know, it's like you're hiding to breathe when the hair is free. And so please, if you guys could just use peaceful revolution a little bit more, I think a lot more of us would feel more comfortable because we don't want the war. And I think they think we're for war and we're not for war. All we want to do is just feel at one with nature, the trees, the birds, you know, why do we have to feel? Honestly, I thank you for what you all are doing. And I encourage you all very much. Please take strength in just that nature. It's not good to be living, cannot feel one with the river, the stream. The, that is natural. And, and, and we're just being stifled. The harder we try is the more the oppression at my age. It's not good. All right, Audrey. Audrey, it's getting a little tricky for me to fully hear you, but I got I I think we heard the thrust of what you were saying came in very clear at the beginning. I want to thank you for your for your thoughtful remarks and for making the call. Raphael, do you want to um respond to what she was raising? Um yeah, I it was cutting out a little bit for me, but uh but uh as far as peaceful revolution, the the problem is that the people who run this system are not peaceful. You know, the, the, the people who, who, you know, just look at what this, the ruling class of this system has done to, you know, to and people who've stood up against, against this system. Look at what they did to the Black Panther Party, locking them up for decades or killing them off like what they did to Fred Hampton. You know, this system uh, is, is, is ruled by people who will stop at nothing to prevent, you know, uh, any fundamental change from happening. This is why, you know, you act, we actually need to build a movement of millions of people to go up against this system. And when the time is right, which is not right now, it's not tomorrow, we're not talking about overthrowing this system uh, when we just get crushed. But we are building a movement for a real revolution, which means millions of people rising up and, and defeating and dismantling the actual institutions of violent repression that this system brings down on people to prevent any fundamental change. Um, and, and this is actually a moment where, you know, most of the time in a, in a powerful country like the United States, the world's most powerful empire with the most powerful military and police forces the world has ever seen, that, you know, Revolution is 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 not possible, but this is a situation where where revolution is even more possible, exactly because the divisions in society are 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 sharpening. You know, this country is more divided than it's been since the Civil War, and uh, and the, you know these divisions go all through the ruling class, even into their institutions like the military and stuff. And you know, this military is not just gonna 
break apart on its own. You know, there will ultimately it's going to come down to an actual fight when millions of people are ready to fight for revolution. But we have to be prepared right now. We're not we're waging a political war, not a military war. We're, we're waging a political war to win out to win people to the actual understanding of the need for revolution and to get people organized and to get people ready for revolution. So um, that's what I would say to that. You know, one thing I would just add, and then we'll go to, I, I think we got somebody else, we got a number of people on the line waiting. One thing I would add is, I think it's right that we want a world, and humanity has long dreamt of a world free of war without violence, oppressive, destructive violence, and especially on an industrial scale, which is what we have in the world today with the wars, the unjust wars, the imperialist wars, the reactionary wars. But to get to a world without wars, we have to get rid of the root causes of those wars, which is in this competitive, in this era, it's, it's rooted in the competitive uh, capitalist imperialist system with its profit drive, its geopolitical competition between rival imperial imperialist blocks, its its contests over who's going to plunder which regions of the world. And all of that is enforced through military and violence. And to get beyond wars, you have to get beyond that system, which does require a revolution. But here I would say, you know, not all violence is the same. There's reactionary destructive violence. You have something like, you know, rape is a very clear cut case. And you have the violence of somebody who fights back against the rapist. That's not the same. It's not de degrading violence. It's necessary, and it can even be liberating not to turn around and, 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 and inflict revenge on somebody after they've been removed from the ability to commit harm, but there is a difference. And I think in this world, we see so much destructive violence and war. It's, it's correct to yearn for a world without it. But then to get there, you have to get beyond the system that requires it. That's why a revolution. That's why we're arguing for a revolution. So I hope that, you know, the spirit of what Audrey was saying, I think a lot of people share. Um, but the necessity to go through what we have to go through to get to that world is what we're arguing for. Um, and the spirit that, and the spirit of being one with nature. You yeah, know? that's true, too. We're, we're living in a, in a system which is literally at war with nature. You know, yeah. and, and the question is, what's it going to take to to put an end to that system? That's absolutely true. I want to get Dr. Bill, Dr. Bill on the line. Howdy. Good morning. I'd like to just make a couple of simple comments. Um, first of all, I think there's something my microphone going here. I think there's something particularly hokey or Mickey Mouse about this, this woke language. If I were going to move in that direction, so to say, uh, as an educated, relatively erudite person, I think I'd want to say that I'm an awakened or politically conscious person, not this crazy thing about woke. Number two, I'd also like to support uh, what you've been saying, I believe, uh, in that I consider it a mistake to make, the, make these, uh, I'm sorry, make all these distinctions between different groups, which I think can be very decisive. And besides, as far as I'm concerned, every human being with vital signs, let's say, must be uh, guaranteed basic human rights. All right, Dr. Bill, I, I thank you for your call. I want to let that sit as a comment because we get a lot of other people um, waiting to speak. Um, and uh, let's go to Lamont. I think it's Yiki. And, and Raphael, um, please check your messages as well. Um, Lamont. Are you on there? Lamont, you are on the air. I just want to say that this is an extremely valuable conversation that you guys are raising. Uh, 
for Euro Americans and African Americans and Latino Latina Americans, Native Indigenous uh, Asian Americans, the point is that John Brown was a Euro American. Henry David Thoreau was a Euro American. Uh, Sweeney Goodman, uh, Euro American. And we've got, and you're right to debunk and uh, this woke lunacy, as you put it, as you more accurately put it. So I just want to say, keep up the good, the good work. I mean, we have to have nonviolent major changes in this in this country and in this world. And you uh, exposing the erroneous, if not just absolutely subterfuge that's going on with this notion of woke, that you can't talk about Palestinians, you can't talk about uh, ethnicity, a race, you can't talk about imperialism and foreign policy. I mean, the right wing is really getting to minority people who are adopting uh, these notions, uh, which is which is horrendous. I mean, this place should be open to everybody, no matter what your sexuality or your choice is, no matter what your gender preference is, no matter what your race, strike race, there's only one race, the human race. There are about 240 nations. That's your nationality. And in every country, there are numerous ethnicities, about 200 in Nigeria, about two or three dozen in Mexico. And that's all. I'm going to monopolize the limited time you have and leave some for someone else. But I just urge you guys to keep on with what you're doing. As we would well, say, Lamont, Lamont, I want to thank you for calling. Rafael, do you want to? I really appreciate what you're sharing. Um, Rafael, you have anything you want to react to? And then we'll go to at least one, maybe two more calls. Yeah, I just mainly I just really appreciate what Lamont is saying. I mean, the 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 John Brown example, you know, of you know, for people that don't know, John Brown was a white abolitionist who heroically fought, you know, actually waged armed struggle um, against against slavery and was killed and you know became a a martyr in that sense of the anti-slavery cause. But you know, if he was around now, he would. You know, he would be canceled for not staying in his lane, you know, and, and so I, I think uh, it, that's that's the insanity that we're talking about. So mainly I just wanted to uh, appreciate the last couple of calls and invite people to come to the program on uh, at UCLA, the speech that Sansara is uh, giving on woke lunacy versus real revolution. Um, pull out your pens and papers and write it down. It's it's May 24th at UCLA. So I uh, hope to see everyone there. Um, and you can also, uh, the details are all on our social media accounts. So you can follow us at the RevComs. And you can also go to uh, RevCom.us, our website, to, to get the information on it. Oh, that's great. So we have uh, Linda. Linda, you are on the air. Welcome to the, Mike, to the Michael Slate Show. Hi, thank you. I'm a visual thinker. Yeah, we can hear you. Go ahead. You're a visual thinker. I'm about that. I'm, and I'm out of advertising and I'm out of educational fields and I'm out specifically. I myself have difficulty speaking in the manner in which you beautifully speaking people are presenting all these fabulous ideas with all this passion. So I'm wondering if in the promotion that you're offering to the college students that you are attempting to reach, is there a really strong visual aspect? For example, in my olden days, I'm 84 years old, we had bulletin boards 
placed and people could look at things and decide they wanted to stand or pay attention to something. I'm wondering if that's part of your your campaign. Well, I think that's I, it is true. Um, people people learn in different ways, and and the visual makes a huge difference for a lot of people. And we have some, and there's some very creative displays that have been created, and there actually need to be a lot more. It's a very good idea. I appreciate the suggestion. Um, Raphael, I want to make sure we squeeze in one more, but do you want to react at all to what Linda was saying? No, I appreciate it. We should we should think more about it. Since Sara has been making, you know, four main points in her presentation, we've been passing it out to the students so that they can read it and and follow along and get the four main points um so yeah we should think about other other visual ways we can we can help people learn um okay so we have one last call we're going to try to squeeze in uh bill from santa monica are you there uh tell us what's on your mind and and because we're at the end of the hour we need to keep it somewhat tight here well i just wanted to say i have a friend who teaches 10th grade history and at the beginning of this last school year most of her class had never heard of the Holocaust. She had a neighbor who had survived the Holocaust. He's quite an elderly man. He came in, and he was attacked almost immediately for using the term Jew. Uh, what? And it hurt him. Uh, I don't know what term he could have used other than Jew, but he's been using that his whole life. But it, it, it harmed uh, some people. It upset them that he would just use the word Jew. I guess they considered it as a pejorative. Uh but I think this is a Holocaust survivor who is criticized for using the word Jew. Yeah, uh, I think you're talking about people who just aren't too bright. And I blame a lot of this on the Internet. You can just put up an opinion without knowing anything. And it is valid as the next opinion before and after. And they don't know what the Holocaust was. They didn't care. They cared that he used the word Jew, which some wow. of them found offensive. Bill, I I have to say these stories they keep coming. This is what we're this is exactly what we're talking about with woke lunacy. It's about obsession over words and language rather than the real world and changing the world and learning about the world. That is an astonishing story. I mean, I have to say this is and your point on the internet is is well taken as well and and it points to the value and the import of of uh resources like this radio station uh, this show, the Michael Slate show, the kind of conversation we're able to have here. Um, Raphael, we have just one or two minutes left for you to do any closing remarks you want to share. Well, you know, uh, off of what Bill said, you know, in this, we, we actually had someone at the last event who raised an objection to the title of, of this event, Woke Lunacy versus Real Revolution, because they were saying the term lunacy was, you know, derogatory against people who are actually have actual mental health <laughs> challenges. But, you know, this is the kind of, honestly, it's just ridiculous. And it's a way to avoid dealing with the real issues and preoccupying yourself with language versus actually dealing with reality and real issues that people need to be lifting their sights to. So it under it underscores the importance of this uh, speaking tour. And I, again, want to invite people everyone listening to come out to hear Sansara Taylor speak at UCLA on May 24th. Okay, well, listen, um, I do want to thank everybody who called very thoughtful calls today. And these are important questions because the world is hurtling forward and the fascists are on a march and the system of capitalism imperialism is 
tearing up the the planet, destroying it, and and moving us closer every day to a potential world war, which would be nuclear. I mean, it could just be devastating. There's huge dangers, and the police continue to murder. Women's rights are being stripped away. There are the anti-trans bills being passed. I mean, this is a really dangerous situation, and the and the fascist Republicans have made clear they don't intend to respect any serious election, any meaningful election that they lose. They're preparing for a reactionary civil war. And our side needs to get serious and, and look at reality and not hide from it. And not be, con- you know, this kind of lunacy of, of criticizing somebody for using a word rather than dealing with the reality. We need to change this. So this is some of what I'm happy to be able to have gotten into with you today on this speaking tour. And I want to thank Raphael for being with me on this hour. I want to thank Gary Baca for engineering as always, Henry Carson for assistant producing, send our love out to Michael Slate. And until next time, remember that the problem is not human nature. It is the nature of the system. Through a real revolution, a better world is possible. We are going to close out today's show with Ohio by Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young in memory of the determined struggle waged in the 1970s by students and youth and others, and in commemoration of the deaths of students at Kent State and Jackson State in 1970. I'm going to read this history that is so important for us to all remember, learn from, and understand. May 4th, 1970, four students at Kent State University were gunned down by Ohio National Guard just days before the U.S. had begun the invasion of Cambodia in Southeast Asia. This was a major escalation in the war on Vietnam. Students across the country poured into the streets and took over buildings in protests. The governor of Ohio called out the National Guard at Kent State. And in the face of the guard forbidding demonstrations, the, dis- the students defiantly went ahead anyway. Tear gas was fired, students were pushed around, but still they refused to back down. And then, the National Guard opened fire into the crowd. Over 60 rounds in the space of 13 seconds. They killed four students and wounded nine others. One was paralyzed for life. Just 10 days later, two students were murdered and 12 others were wounded at Jackson State University in Mississippi, a predominantly black university. Why did the students resist? The leading edge of the opposition to the Vietnam War, including among those tens of thousands of students who are at the forefront of resisting that war, was a clear and basic moral and political stand. The U.S. has no right whatsoever to be in Vietnam. It is visiting crimes against humanity on the people there, and we demand an immediate end to the war. When the U.S. Army invaded Cambodia, broad swaths of society opposed to the war joined the movement, and those who had been resisting became all the more determined to stand up and put it on the line to end this war. With the killing of the students at Kent State and Jackson State, about 4 million students at 1,350 universities outraged by the murders took to the streets in protest. Campuses across the country shut down, including the entire University of California system. There was a leap in the situation, and many who had been sickened by the war and the treatment of black people in this society, but who had been passive up until then, sprang into action. They confronted the forces of the state, they refused to back down in the face of brutal repression, and they began to look at things in new ways. For hundreds of thousands, 
the very legitimacy of the current order's right to rule was called into question. The political polarization in society changed seemingly overnight. And with this outpouring of people across the country, a revolutionary core gained strength. Many, many people were radicalized and the target of uncompromising protest became the system itself. The revolutionary movement, while still far from encompassing the majority in society, had the initiative in many ways. And there are lessons in this history for us today, how a determined small core can grow rapidly in the face of major shocks and jolts and changes in the larger society. We are living through such times magnified by many orders of magnitude. So we have to commemorate the courage, the defiance of the students of Kent State and Jackson State and the young generation that rose up then. We have to learn from their courage and their internationalism. And we have to have that courage, that largeness of mind today. So it's with that spirit that I want to close out today's show with Ohio. Listen deeply to the lyrics.